Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zota. Africa, amuka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Russia vetoes resolution on Syria, Boko Haram increasingly using children as bombers, and South Africa's national bus strike continues indefinitely. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has likened an onslaught on his leadership style to criticism meted out to his predecessors Nelson Mandela and Tabumbeki. He was speaking at his 75th birthday celebrations in Soweto. The event was staged on the same day that thousands of South Africans marched on the government union buildings in the capital Pretoria to demand Zuma's resignation. Zuma says supporters should not concern themselves with criticism by parties, as that's the job of the opposition. It will happen to whoever will be elected. You will remember that at the time when Mandela was at the helm, how they attacked him, he even called them the Mickey Mouse parties at some point. He was angry that they attacked him. And when he finished his term, they worshipped him, and they began to believe in him. The others were attacking Big and attacked him for a long time without stopping and left him only when he was about to vacate his office. We must not be deterred and think that there was something wrong about Mandela or Big. There is no one who will become a president of the ANC and not be attacked, especially by the opposition. Russia has vetoed, has vetoed against a United Nations Security Council resolution condemning the reported use of chemical weapons in the Syrian town of Khan Sheikhun. Russia was joined by Bolivia in voting against the resolution drafted by the United Kingdom, United States and France. China, Ethiopia and Kazakhstan abstained. Matthew Wells reports. The resolution expressed horror at the reported use of chemical weapons in Idlib on the 4th of April and condemned their use in the strongest terms. It expressed full support for a full investigation to be carried out by the International Chemical Weapons Watchdog, OPCW, which is in the process of gathering information on the attack, along with the UN Joint Investigative Mechanism. But it also called on the Syrian government to comply with all OPCW recommendations as its fact-finding mission gets underway and asked for investigators to be given full access to information on flight plans and pilots who are suspected of being involved in the alleged sarin gas attack, which left dozens dead and injured. 
The Moroccan authorities say they've dismantled a terrorist cell that was recruiting volunteers for the Islamic State group. The Interior Ministry says the ISIS-affiliated cell, which was active in the northern city of Fez and nearby town of Moulay Yaqub, had seven members. They recruited and sent Moroccan vol- volunteers to Iraq and Syria, where the jihadist groups holds territory. Police seized bladed weapons, military uniforms, money and electronic equipment during the raid. Lesotho's Minister of Home Affairs, Lichetu Rakwane, has appealed to South Africa to delay penalties for overstaying until all eligible Lesotho special permit holders are processed at the end of June. This, as the main Maseru border between Lesotho and South Africa says, it's ready to handle thousands of travellers expected to cross during the Easter holidays. Many Basutu working or studying in South Africa are illegal, and more than 100,000 have applied for special permits. Rakwane our appeal basically is that there's still a lot of confusion in terms of people who are pending applications that have not been approved and therefore our fear is that they are going to be uh, penalized by the employers at the borders and therefore we thought that we need some kind of moratorium while we are settling the pending applications and processing of them. The International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent has warned of a health crisis in Somaliland after 28 people died of acute diarrhea in the past 10 days. More than 411 cases believed to be caused by cholera have been reported since the beginning of the month, with 167 people hospitalized in the drought-ravaged region of northern Somalia. The Red Cross says nearby Puntland has also been hit by the outbreak, recording more than 1,600 cases of cholera and 50 seven deaths since the beginning of the year. The Horn of Africa region, including parts of Ethiopia and Kenya, are suffering from drought. Somalia's President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed warned last month that his country could slip into its third famine in 25 years if the international community did not send more aid. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And Russia has vetoed a UN Security Council resolution that called for the Syrian government to fully comply with an investigation into the chemical weapons attack in Idlib province last week. The resolution introduced by the United Kingdom, France and the United States required the Syrian government to provide the joint UN and organization for the prohibition of chemical weapons investigators with detailed air operations and immediate access to relevant air bases where it's believed the chemical attacks may have been launched. Ten countries voted in favor of the draft. Three abstained, including China, with Bolivia joining Russia's veto. Show in Bryce Peace reports. The eighth veto of a Syria draft by the Russian Federation. After Ambassador Vladimir Safronkov warned that the text served no purpose, while accusing the UN joint mechanism of bias. 
This outcome was predetermined because we have consistently expressed our categorical disagreement with the erroneous concept of the document, which um, as uh, um, events developed and consultations took place, it underwent no change whatsoever. What was being ignored and brushed aside under artificial pretexts, pretexts, the Russian concerns and priorities. The main problem was that the draft resolution by the Troika appointed the guilty party prior to to the investigation, prior to an, uh, an independent and objective investigation. Now, this is an approach which is incompatible with legal norms. African countries Senegal and Egypt backed the draft, while Ethiopia was one of three countries to abstain. France's ambassador, Francois de Latre, again raised its initiative to suspend the use of the veto when mass atrocities are before council. It is precisely situations of the kind in which we find ourselves today that explain the French and Mexican joint initiative on the issue of the veto. And that initiative is more topical than ever, and it fully reflects our concerns in light of what has happened just now. The UK's Matthew Rycroft called Russia's action regrettable. Russia cannot now possibly claim that it opposes the use of chemical weapons. Russia has seen the same pictures that we all saw just days ago in this chamber. How could anyone look at the faces of lifeless children and choose to veto a resolution condemning those deaths? The United States Ambassador Nikki Haley provided an ominous warning to Syria. The international community has spoken. Russia now has a lot to prove. To Assad and the Syrian government, you have no friends in the world after your horrible actions. The United States is watching your actions very closely. The days of your arrogance and disregard of humanity are over. Your excuses will no longer be heard. I suggest you look at this vote very carefully and heed this warning. Syrian Ambassador Bashar al-Jafari, for his part, rejected accusations his government was responsible and said it welcomed any investigation into the attack. Syria, in the strongest terms, condemns and rejects any use of chemical weapons or any weapons of mass destruction as a crime against humanity that is rejected, immoral and impossible to justify in any circumstance. The target of the use of such weapons is the Syrian people. The first victim to date of the crimes by armed terrorist groups that have not hesitated to use chemical weapons against it. The attack in Idlib province on April 4th killed over 100 people, including dozens of children. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. It's 8.11 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1961. The first live broadcast is televised from the Soviet Union. That was today in history in the year 1961. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-447-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711.
1011. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. The countrywide bus strike in South Africa will continue today after labor unions and employer organizations in the passenger bus sector again failed to find common ground at talks in Johannesburg yesterday. Thousands of commuters have been left stranded after transport workers down tools over wages and working conditions. Wisani Makubele reports. The parties met at the beginning council in Johannesburg, hoping to find one another, but there was no breakthrough. The workers are demanding 15%. NUMSA's 18 spokesperson, Pagamile Shubi, says the employer's 9% offer is an insult to the workers. There were some minor improvements uh, relating to, for example, a 10% increase on the cross-border travel allowance, as well as a 10% increase on the overnight allowance. But for us, that is not good enough. There is an issue that has still to be properly dealt with, which is the fact that the employer feels that it is okay for bus drivers to work 16 hours and only be paid for overtime after that 16 hours. They're basically trying to justify long hours. Shubi says one of the main areas of disagreement is that the employers are not willing to pay a second driver when it's not actually sitting behind the wheel. In the situation where there are two drivers, as is often the case in long-distance drives, the second driver who accompanies the driver must be paid for the time that they spend on the bus. Now, this demand was the reason that we deadlocked because for some reason, employers feel that it is perfectly normal for people to work and not be remunerated. They felt that they were not willing to extend any kind of payment to the co-driver for the time that he spends on the bus. They will only remunerate him for the time when he is actually driving the bus. Meko Magida, who speaks on behalf of both the South African Bus Employers Association and the Commuter Bus Employers Organization, accused the unions of not negotiating in good faith. We even prepared as employers to improve our offer to a reasonable offer. There was a proposal that was put on the table by the General Secretary of the Bargaining Council for a 9%. And I'm telling you, Labour even rejected that proposal. And that proposal had other, or some of the items that they are demanding, which was going to improve their conditions of work you know, and their well-being. But they rejected that without even giving consideration to it. So it, what it's telling me is telling me that Labour is not prepared to negotiate what they want to do just to go on strike. However, Satao spokesperson Zanele Sabela says they are disappointed that yesterday's meeting produced no results. The employers didn't seem ready to engage with us. They came there with an attitude of take it or leave it. And as such, the meeting was fruitless. And because of that, the strike continues. Since we haven't yet uh, reached a resolution, there has to be hope. We've already left the door open and we will need to negotiate. We just want a better deal for our members. The strike will continue indefinitely. I'm Wisani Makubele in Johannesburg. 
Opposition political parties have welcomed the decision by South Africa's police minister, Figuilin Balula, to withdraw the application for leave to appeal the High Court decision that set aside Hawke's head burning in Clemenza's appointment. The Pretoria High Court yesterday dismissed Clemenza's application to appeal the decision. The parties say Balula's decision will allow for the appointment of a proper person to lead the Hawks. Joseph Musia reports. Ntlemenza was appointed as the head of the Directorate for Priority Crime Investigations, or the Hawks, in 2014. Freedom Under Law and the Helen Sussman Foundation went to court to have the appointment set aside, arguing that the position of Hawks' head required integrity and honesty. Ntlemenza had been found by the courts, they argued, not to meet the criteria. DAMP Zakele Mbele says... They have long campaigned for Ntlemeza to go. We've long been calling for the removal of General Ntlemeza as head of the Hawks because of his unfitness for the office. Um, And that has now been confirmed uh, in terms of the ruling of the High Court setting that aside. Uh, So we now look forward to speedy action from the minister to remedy this situation uh, so that we can have integrity Uh, in the leadership of the Hawks with a fresh appointment process. Freedom Front Plus leader Peter Grunewald says they hope the next appointment will be made on merit. It must be also a message to all the loyalists to Zuma that the moment they have used you, they will throw you aside uh, like a used lemon. The other fact of the matter is that we'd like to see who is going to be the successor. Is it also going to be a loyalist or is it going to be a merit? We prefer that we get, or the time has come that we get people in positions on merit, not on whether they are loyal to the government or not. The chairperson of the Police Portfolio Committee, Franjua Bigman, says they have noted the decision of the court. He says they hope the minister will act speedily to appoint the new head of the unit to ensure stability in the Hawks. The ball is now in the court of the Minister of Police. The Portfolio Committee believes that it's essential that an acting head of DPCR should be appointed as soon as possible and that the process to appoint a new head of the DPCR should be commenced as soon as possible. The Portfolio Committee on Police is of the view that the DPCR's members should continue with their work unabated with the important task of fighting organized crime. The High Court also granted the application by the Helen Sussman Foundation that the judgment be enforced immediately. Foundation spokesperson Chelsea Ramsden says Mbalula's decision is an indication there were no prospects for success. I am Joseph Musia in Parliament. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma says he is not stressed or bothered by those calling him names and demanding for him to step down from office. Zuma was speaking at his birthday celebrations last night in Cliptown in Soweto, hosted by the ANC. The president celebrated his birthday while opposition leaders led a protest to the union buildings calling on Zuma to vacate his seat. Mbali Sibanyoni has more. 
Hundreds of delegates and ANC supporters from all walks of life gathered at the Walter Sisulu Square to celebrate President Jacob Zuma's 75th birthday. Donned in the ANC regalia, most attendees wore the ANC t-shirts bearing the image of President Zuma with a message on the back written, Happy Birthday Msholozi. Celebrations were led by NEC member Nomvula Mukonyane with the ANC Women's League President Batabile Zlamini, ANC Youth League's Njabulo Nzunza and Kosatu President Stumo Zlamini also in attendance. Deputy Secretary General Desu Duarte and President Zuma were the only members from the ANC's top six who attended the festivities. President Jacob Zuma held nothing back and criticized the opposition for leading protests across the country calling for his removal. When those who are called opposition are saying whatever they are saying, the truth is they are doing their jobs. Because they are called opposition, they must oppose whatever is being done by others. It is their job. If they do not do that, then it means they are not the opposition. There is no opposition that has ever agreed with those who should be opposed. They always fight for anything that they can criticize. Zuma says as the ANC prepares to hold its elective conference in December and elects a new leader, people who are calling for his removal will forget about him and attack the new ANC president. The ANC member should not be confused. It will happen to whoever will be elected. You will remember that at the time when Mandela was at the helm, how they attacked him, he even called them the Mickey Mouse parties at some point. He was angry that they attacked him, and when he finished his term, they worshipped him, and they began to believe in him. The others were attacking Beg and attacked him for a long time without stopping and left him only when he was about to vacate his office. There is no leader who can never be attacked because they do not only attack the leader, they in turn attack the party. We must not be deterred and think that there was something wrong about Mandela or Beg. There is no one who will become a president of the ANC and not be attacked, especially by the opposition. Zuma further told his supporters attending his birthday celebrations that he has been in politics since a young age and says when he talks he is not trying to please anyone. He then touched on the land issue. You see, when we talk about the issue of land, I do not try to please anyone. It is a very difficult issue. That's why you see today that there are people who are poor and impoverished. There is also inequality and high unemployment. It's because land was taken away from us, which is the main pillar of any nation. For us to just let go and say that the land has been taken away from us, if we can leave this issue unattended, it will mean we will not even enter the gates of heaven. No one takes something from us and we allow them. And after that, the Roto law saying, we are breaking the law, yet they are the ones who broke the law first. They took our land. It's better now because we are able to engage in talks. We are saying, let us use the law which has been drawn to bring the land back. In closing his address, the president told those in attendance that once his term comes to an end in 2019, he will leave office with no animosity and if members of the ANC want him to step down tomorrow, he will do so. But 2019, in 2019, I will take off my hat which is given to me to govern this country. I want to tell you that even if you say tomorrow I must step down from this position, I will step down with a clear conscience. But I want to tell you, my supporters, I will be ANC until my last day on earth. Zuma ended off his birthday celebrations with a visit to the Chris Hani Baragwanath Hospital where he gave gifts to mothers in the maternity ward who gave birth to children on the 12th of April. Bali Sibanyoni, SABC News, Cliptown in Soweto.
Let's go back in time to today in 1996. Deputy President Silva Ramaphosa, who was the then Secretary General of the South African ruling party, the African National Congress, and the Chairman of the Constitutional Assembly, announces his decision to leave Parliament. That was today in history in the year 1996. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre de soleil. Kia Makande Mbalelwa Kina Miriam Mlopom. Estana companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África. A voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sou Chitika, Mu África. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 8.25 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's Minister of Finance, Malusi Gigaba, says there will be no deviation from the Public Finance Management Act at a time when nuclear energy is procured. There have been concerns about the country's ability to afford the nuclear bill program. Gigaba was addressing investors as well as stakeholders yesterday at the Development Bank of Southern Africa in Midrand, north of Johannesburg. He assured them that government will continue working towards ensuring that inclusive growth is achieved. He also reiterated that he will continue on the path of fiscal consolidation, as was the case when Pravin Gordon was leading the Treasury. Morafe Dabane has more. Since he assumed his new role as the Minister of Finance, Malusi Gigaba has been meeting with CEOs of banks, ratings agencies and different stakeholders. Today he met with the South African investor community and assured them that government will continue with its efforts of ensuring that inclusive growth is achieved. He acknowledged the negative impact of the downgrade by ratings agencies following the cabinet reshuffle by President Jacob Zuma. 
I need to state that we fully appreciate the gravity of the downgrades, their significance and what they mean, not only to the economy and business, but what they mean to the rest of South Africans. They are a setback and we will be working hard in the coming weeks and months to avoid further downgrades and in the medium term to restore our investment grade rating. Accompanying the minister was his deputy, Sfiso Butelezi, as well as the outgoing Director General Lungisa Fuzile. Fuzile encouraged investors to engage with them to ensure that there's clarity on all issues. We don't want to pretend to you that there should never be change, even when change is necessary. But uh, change at every point should be informed by the desire to do better than in the past. So we are going to be interacting with you today. No question will remain unanswered. We also hope that no question will remain unasked, if there is such a word in English. Don't be here, leave here, and say, I wish I had mustered the courage to ask them this question. Meanwhile, Gigaba promised investors that all due process will be followed when the much talked about nuclear energy is procured. Any procurement of nuclear energy will follow due process as required by the Constitution and the PFMA and will proceed only at a pace and scale that the country can afford. I want to assure you that we are laser-focused on inclusive growth so that we can develop South Africa into a country in which all of our people thrive. Even as we recognize the robust political debates taking place, we are determined to unite South Africans around the program of inclusive growth. The minister plans to visit international investors following the country's downgrade to sub-investment by two ratings agencies. We should soon be undertaking an international tour to engage with the credit ratings agencies and engage with investors abroad. But we thought it was necessary that we should start here at home with the people who, host, who hold most of our bonds so that we assure you of our plans, we don't keep you in the dark. I think over the last 10 days or so, we have tried the best we can to communicate as much as possible. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. And that was South Africa's Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba ending that report by Morafe Tabane. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline South African President Jacob Zuma says he will only resign if the ruling ANC asks him to. A clash between the army and police in Nigeria's rest of northeastern Yobe state leaves one soldier and three police officers dead. And Russia has used its veto power to block the United Nations Security Council resolution, condemning the reported use of chemical weapons in the Syrian town of Khan Sheikhun. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. A surge in the number of child suicide bombers in the Lake Chad region may signify a change in tactics by guerrilla insurgents Boko Haram. The United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, announced the development after publishing new data showing that 27 youngsters died in suicide attacks in the first three months of the year compared with nine in the same period in 2016. Eight in ten of the victims were girls. A WFP spokesperson, Christophe Boilerac, explains the abuse reflects what the abuse reflects as far wider human, humanitarian problems that require more international assistance. What is going on is that we see an alarming surge in number of children who are used in the worst possible way. They are used in bomb attacks, suicide attacks in the four countries of the Lake Chad. We are talking here about Nigeria, Niger, Chad and Cameroon. During the three months of 2017, the number of children that have been used in this horrific practice, horrific act, is more or less the same than the number of children that have been used during the last year. So 27 children were using in suicide attacks the three first months of this year and 30 children were used last year. It can be explained by a tactical change, a tactical shift of Boko Haram who now seems to carry on some guerrilla-style insurgency. And so using children is a way to avoid, you know, some detection. And that's absolutely uh, alarming and horrible. Can you just tell me, you know, what kind of children do you have an idea about where these children come from? Are these displaced children? Have they been abducted? I mean, what's the profile? Yes, it's very important to remind that Boko Haram has been abducting children, like, you know, the the Chibok girls that we often speak about. But there are many, many more children. That's really common practice from Boko Haram to abduct children. And what we notice now is that among the children that are used for this suicide attack, there are 80% girls. So since January 2014, 117 children have been used in suicide attacks in these four countries, and 80% of them are girls. And so Boko Haram has these children, and they are using the girls for domestic use, but not only anymore. Really, for this kind of attacks, they are also sexually abusing them. And we are extremely alarmed by that, not only because it's you cannot imagine a worst way to use children in a conflict. Yes, and you were talking about the Chibok uh, schoolgirls there, 200 who were abducted by Boko Haram, what, three years ago now, and some have been returned, and you you mentioned the stigma that they face. I mean, maybe you could give us an update on the Chibok girls. How many are still missing, and um, um, what has happened to to those who've uh, been returned? Have they managed to reintegrate, or are they just facing too much stigma still? 
what really is important is that the, the Boko Haram insurgency has been fueled in large part through the abduction of the children. So this Chibok girl abduction is the most well-known example. But the practice is widespread and, and uh, it, it, it continues. Uh, uh, girls in captivity, as I told you, are often assigned husbands who rape them in a marriage without ceremony. Many girls become pregnant and they give birth without medical care or attention. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, Boko Haram is just exploiting children to fulfill combat and sometimes combat, sometimes non-combat roles, including cooking, cleaning, transport and and as I told you, even as combatants and sexual slaves. And last question to you, Christoph. Where is your funding, if you've managed to actually get into the region with your local partners, where are you with funding now? Um, our our uh, last appeal uh, for the Lake Chad Basin was uh, amounted to $154 million. And it's only... It's only, uh, it's our last year appeal, of course, and it's only 40% funded. Uh, and that's not enough. We need some resources. We are particularly, in addition to, the, to, the, to our work to provide this, as you said, very, very needy population with, with access to safe water, because as you know, there are also some risk of, of famine in, in the northeast Nigeria. Uh, we need we have a lot of work to do. We are doing a lot of work. But specifically for these children, we need to make sure that um, they, uh, they can have a psychosocial support. We have supported more than uh, 300,000 children last year uh, to, to, for, uh, for psychosocial support. It needs to, to continue. It requires some resources. Yes, it's, it's clearly a, a region of the world that, uh, that is... Uh, where the children are, are, are particularly suffering and, and, and where we need uh, to scale up our programs to provide, to support them. And Christoph, sorry, a final question to you. I know you've worked around the world for UNICEF in humanitarian settings, different conflict areas. How does the Boko Haram Lake Chad situation compare in terms of its focus and the fact that it's fueled, as you say, by its um, mission to abduct children to keep itself going. How does that compare with other sectors, that, the situations that you have seen? You know, each, each conflict is, is different, but I would say that oh, this, this Lake Chad region is, is and particularly not East Nigeria, is facing so many challenges at the same time. Uh, it's always tricky and difficult to compare a, a conflict with another because, you know, there are some nuances, there are some specificities. But in, in Northeast Nigeria, you, in, 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 the, in this area of Lake Chad Basin, you have the problem, you know, of, of, of drought, you have a problem of conflict, you have a problem, of course, there were problems uh, in the past, uh, and, and you have all the development problems, all the development uh, issues to, to, uh, to, to take into account. So there is a kind of, of combination there in this uh, region, the violence, the, 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 the drought, the, the, the risk of famine, the food insecurity, the lack of access to safe water, as you know, uh, it kills as many children as, as the food insecurity. There is a lot at the same time, and that's why it's so challenging. 
That was Christophe Bleu-Lerick, spokesperson at World Food Programme, on the line to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. It's 8.39 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The leader of Zambia's opposition United Party for National Development, Hakainde Hichilema, has been arrested and charged with treason. He was picked up by the police after a night raid at his new Kasama residence. Treason in Zambia carries a death sentence. More on the arrest from Likando Mofalali, chairperson of the Youth League in the UPND. Despite a sad day for our country, Zambia, uh, because the largest part in this country, uh, the leader has the was arrested after being surrounded for over 24 hours and uh, the breaking of uh, his property, his windows, I mean, his house, and going through his bedroom, tear gassing and doing all sorts of barbaric things. It's quite indeed sad uh, for our democracy because uh, it has never happened in our multi-party system. From 1991, when we went into a multi-party system, we have never experienced a leader who wants to oppress, intimidate, and suppress his opponents because they are challenging him in one way or the other. There has been a dispute uh, over the election, and the petition uh, in this matter was uh, actually brought to the the constitutional court, which court uh, actually failed to make any judgment. And that's why Mr. Ichilema and the UPND have insisted insisted that uh, uh, Mr. Lungu never won an election. There was too much fraud in the election, and there was a lot of uh, irregularities which are actually well-known uh, on tape and so forth. And all these matters were supposed to be heard in the Constitutional Court. Unfortunately, the Constitutional Court failed the people, failed to offer a judgment. And it's in this that uh, Mr. Hichilema and the UPND continue to say, unless the petition is heard, they will not recognize Mr. Lungu. And on top of that, a few days, uh, just two days ago, we were in uh, Barosaland, where there was a ceremony, and Mr. Lungu was badly imbalanced, uh, booed, and so forth. He is taking that anger on a wrong person because he, Mr. Chilema, never booed Mr. Lungu, but the people who are so dissatisfied with his operations, who feel he stole an election, booed at him, and actually never gave him a chance to address uh, the occasion as they walked away when Mr. Chilema uh, protested or when Mr. Chilema left the arena to go to his motorcade. Now, um, reports coming from um, that site uh, say that Mr. H.H. was arrested um, for failing to give way to President um, Lungu's motorcade in Mongu on Sunday. Do you think this warrants, you know, him being arrested? Just what's your take on the reason that was given for this arrest? Well, if you look at the protocols that the police observe uh, in this country when they want the president to pass to have a safe passage, they normally stop traffic at a particular time. In this case, the traffic, the police, never stopped anyone. When they realized that Mr. Ichilema had passed with his motorcade, and he enjoys quite a lot of popularity in that uh, region, it is upon that, uh, when they heard that he had passed, that the president, or Mr. Lungu and his uh, motorcade, went through and started overtaking all those who were going to the ceremony. Remember, it was not only Mr. Ichilema who was driving towards the ceremony. There are so many other vehicles. Now, they didn't stop those vehicles to allow for the motorcade of Mr. Lungu to pass through. But they went ahead to start overtaking and just clearing the way. And at no point did the motorcade for Mr. Ichilema, who happened not to have been in that motorcade, because we knew the sinister motives that they had, and we had intelligence information. We had already whisked him away 
and was already in the palace at the time when they are trying to do all the signals, all these dirty things that they wanted to do, including that of shooting at the motorcade and so forth. Now, where is Mr. H.H. and um, is he still at the police station or has he been charged? Mr. H.H. has been charged with treason. Uh, he was moved from his house. He was taken to uh, Woodlands Police uh, in Woodlands. And thereafter, he was transferred to another dirty and filthy place called uh, Lilai. It's a training school, but it has underground uh, uh, cells where they want to detain him there. And uh, we are aware that after that, they want also now to move him from those dirty, filthy uh, cells in uh, Lilai College, which are underground, which were used by colonial masters, now to uh, to maximum prison uh, in Kabwe. All that uh, is a clear indication of a desperate person, and we know how desperate uh, Mr. Lungu and the PF are. So what are supporters saying? What is the mood on the ground? Uh, what is the supporters are saying is that they won't take this lying idol. They have actually started demonstration, demonstrations, and these demonstrations, uh, they will definitely grow because Mr. Ichilema and the UPND enjoy a lot of popularity across the country. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Lungu and his PF are trying to test the waters. And out of this, I think they will learn one or two things. From the look of things, the supporters are so ready to take over um, uh, demonstrations, to take on uh, to the streets, to demonstrate for their leader to be released, and to ensure that their leader does not go down without uh, a fight. That was Likando Mufalali, chairperson of the Youth League and the United Party for National Development, speaking to Ntlantlamatlangu. I'm Tabi Solohoku with an economics update. Good morning. The South African government has assured international investors that the renewed drive for accelerated radical economic transformation will not serve as a deterrent to foreign direct investment. Tsepo Iganeng reports. A royal welcome for Sheikh Tamim Bill Al-Tami, who's on his first visit to South Africa. President Zuma held bilateral talks with the Emir at the Union buildings last night. Bilateral trade between South Africa and Qatar is valued at just over 7 billion rand. Meanwhile, Finance Minister Malusi Kikaba says investors want the ruling ANC to explain in detail what the radical economic transformation it has pledged in recent speeches means. President Jacob Zuma has said he will redistribute wealth in the economy, still largely held by a white minority, to poor black people, a call echoed by Gigaba since he was appointed finance minister in a shock cabinet reshuffle last month. However, there were few uh, concrete policies on how this will be achieved, and Zuma's transformation push has been criticized by opponents who say it echoes populist promises made by the ruling party since the end of apartheid in 1994. According to the latest report by the World Bank, this year could be turbulent for Kenya's economy. The global lender in the Kenya Economic Update cited decreased credit to the private sector as one of the factors that will have significant impact on growth. 
Credit uptake in December last year dipped to a 13-year low. The countrywide bus strike in South Africa continues this Thursday after labor unions and employer organizations in the passenger bus sector again failed to find common ground at talks held in Johannesburg on Wednesday. Thousands of commuters have been left stranded after transport workers downed tools over wages and working conditions. Botswana Meat Commission has appealed to Heinevelt farmers to supply 10,000 cattle for slaughter once they start collecting from their ranches. The Morn Abattoir target this year is to slaughter 29,160 cattle, but it's reported that it is behind the set target. The US dollar trades at 1371 in South Africa, 1054 in Botswana, 942 in Zambia, 80 to the British pound, 94 to the euro. Gold $1,286, platinum $971 an ounce, brand crude $55.75 a barrel. My name is Tabiso Lohoko and you tuned into Africa Rise and Shine. It's 8.48 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we begin with the ongoing tennis in Johannesburg. After hours of waiting in anticipation following persistent rain in the morning that forced play to be suspended for five hours, play for the day was finally completed at the ongoing SA Open Finals at Ellis Park Test Tennis Stadium in Johannesburg. Quads top seed Lucas Sitole is the only beacon of hope for the home fans after SA women's number one singles player Khutazo Munjani and men's seven seed Evans Maripa were beaten. Sitole reached the final of the quads following yet another crushing display to win 6 love 6-1 against Roniwa Muzanani. Here's Sitole with more on his victory. Uh, yes, um, through to the final, uh, I played good, um, was free. Uh, I was just uh, hitting the balls, uh, just doing the basics and the results were okay. Uh, Ronaldo is a funny guy. He always keeps uh, on laughing every time when I'm tossing. So I was asking him what he's doing. And then he said, no, he just enjoys playing against me. So that was the case. Even Sitole was facing his opponent for the first time, though he was encouraged to go for the kill. But the visible shaken Muzanani was idolizing him throughout. Uh, yes, I think he was nervous at some few points. Uh, and uh, at some other few points, he played very good. He just maybe he just wanted to show me that he can play, but he said that he was nervous, but he's still learning. And also after the match, I told him to, you know what, you must just go for your play. Then what about your opponent? Because that's what we we players do a lot, and which put us on a wrong foot of our game. But if we just continue to play our game, then uh, in terms of my game, 
uh, saving any ground use and my mobility is uh, moving very well at the court. I'm covering the, the court very well and the balls. Uh, now I got the, the proper feelings uh, because they are, they are very hard, uh, especially in the weather like this when it's cold. It's very difficult to generate a speed uh, uh, on a ball, but uh, I'm happy the way um, I'm doing at the moment and yeah, can't wait for the finals. I'm feeling good, at least I'm going to get a little bit of a challenge. I'm going to get a little bit of a, a hard push, you know. Uh, it's also going to test me. Uh, and I'm happy, you know. I'm happy for the challenge for tomorrow. Uh, I think I've played Aaron uh, once, which was here in South Africa, two years back, and I won in a third set. Uh, but I think tomorrow things will be different uh, because I have improved a lot. And I saw he's uh, also has improved on his uh, forehand. So I'm just going to try to play him on a backhand. Make sure that I push him deep so that I can get an easy ball so that I can finish the match early. In football news, Atletico Madrid's Antoine Griezmann demonstrated his importance to the Spanish club when his lightning pace forced the penalty that gave his side a crucial 1-0 victory over Leicester City in the Champions League quarterfinal first leg last night. Griezmann, who finished third in the Ballon d'Or voting last year, has carried Atletico at times this season and it was his break that set up the penalty that he then converted past Kaspar Schmeichel. Leicester manager Craig Shakespeare claimed his side had been let down by Swedish referee Jonas Eriksson's decision to award the penalty when Griezmann was upended by Mark Albrighton. Well, it wasn't a penalty. It was a free kick. It was a foul, but it's outside the box. And obviously, at the end of the day, it's cost us the game. Yes, they had lots of possession. They're a very, very good side. They play one and two touch very well. Their movement are excellent. But ultimately, uh, you come away with a nil-nil if the ref gets the major decision right. An Athletics Wales 400-meter champion Wade Van Niekerk's hopes of a 200-400 meters double at this year's World Championships in London have been given a boost when the Wales Athletics Governing Board, IWAF, announced that they have changed the program to avoid the two events clashing. Fanny Gerg, who electrified last year's Rio Olympics by smashing the 400 meters world record with a time of 43.03 seconds in the final, had set his sights on a double gold in London. A 24-year-old hopes however, looked like being suspended by the schedule, which originally put the 400 meters final on the 8th of August, just hours after the first round of the shorter sprint. The IWAF has sought to avoid the clash by moving the first round of the 200 meters to the 7th of August to better allow for 200 meters and 400 meter doubling opportunity. The World Championships run from the 4th to the 13th of August in London. Lastly, with cricket news, Nigeria's national cricket team recorded another victory at the ongoing ICC World Cricket League Africa region qualifiers in South Africa. Nigeria defeated Zambia by three wickets with 77 balls to spare. Zambia batted first and scored 152 runs all out in 42.5 overs. It was a target that seemed safe for the Zambians given the build-up to this match that meant so much to both sides. Gladson Gandela, 27, recorded the highest number of runs for the betting side as the Nigerians attacked on the crest ceaselessly. H. Patel and Jin Chunaga scored 22 and 20, 20 runs respectively for the Zambians. The country's chances of qualification are slim given the fairy tale run of the Ghanaians in the tournament. That's the Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa tsota Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories on Africa rise and shine at the Sawa Russia vetoes UN resolution on Syria Boko Haram increasingly using children as bombers and South Africa's national bus strike continues indefinitely. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Ron Piri, technical producer Sitlen Bilbo and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now, taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 90-meter band to southern Africa is Salif Keita featuring Black Motion.